Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy, Alan Wells. Alan, what's going on, man? Not too much. How you been, Dmitry? I'm good. I'm, in, I'm enjoying this summer. I'm trying to uh, stay plugged in and, and keeping up with NHL, although there's nothing really happening these days as we uh, approach August. So it's uh, creating new interesting content is kind of tough. I feel like people are just doing like prospect reports and lists and stuff like that, and which is interesting in itself, but uh, the news is pretty dry at this point. Yeah, this is this is the doldrums of the summer. We got a we got another month or so before um, things start to come back to life. Well, I mean, luckily, to be fair, though, um, we do have sort of, you know, we can bridge the gap here between um, the moves we've seen in the summer with free agency and trades in the draft and sort of looking ahead and doing some preliminary previews. And uh, the other day I was I was going through, you know, who I thought were the most interesting teams to kind of highlight and, and, and keep a close eye on this season. And the Tampa Bay Lightning were really near the top of the list. I think there's, they're amongst the top handful and, uh, you're, uh, our, our, our de facto, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning guy. We've had you on to, uh, deep dive them before. And I felt like it was a good opportunity to, uh, to ring you up and kind of do that once again, since we haven't really done it on this podcast since like, uh, I think it was January last time we did it. Yeah, I think that I think that's that's true. Um, I got to say, it's it's a pretty cool position, even though some of the moves I think this summer we'll we'll get into maybe weren't great. It's nice for us uh, in Tampa to feel like this this much a relevant part of the hockey world, because even just a few years ago, um, it seemed like we were really struggling to get to that point. So it's cool, even even if the news isn't isn't always great to have people really caring about the team and really interested in what's what's going on with the Lightning. Oh, don't you worry. We'll get to the Dan Girardi discussion. <laughs> you, you, you don't worry about that. Um, so, you know, following this closely, are you happy with, you know, just in totality looking at it now? Because I feel like most of the major moves they are going to make uh, have already been done. And I feel like this is probably the team they're going to at least head into the regular season with. Um, are you happy with the summer they've had? And do you think that the way the Tampa Bay Lightning look that right now is better than the last time we saw them? I think I th- it's better than the injury riddled mess that they were for most of last season. Right. Um, I don't know if they're better than a healthy version of last season's team. I would I would actually 
feel pretty comfortable saying they're not, um, given some of the additions they made and and Drew and moving out for a younger piece who may not be ready to contribute this year. So um, I think they're maybe a little bit they've taken a little bit of a step back from from an optimal version of last year's team, but mm-hmm. given how crazy last year was, I, I can't imagine it'll be anything other than improve an improvement in terms of results. Yeah. I mean, well, they were super busy. I mean, I was, when I was, uh, putting together the show notes for this, I was kind of looking back at some of the stuff they've done this summer and, you know, they've definitely been active. I feel like, you know, we just go through it in, in chronicle chronological order to, uh, to get our memories jogging here a little bit. I mean, I, I like the idea of, you know, I, I like Nikita Gusev, and I can't wait to see what he's going to look like in the NHL. But at the same time, uh, he's already 25 years old, and he just signed on for two more years in the KHL. So it makes sense that the Lightning would be okay with moving on from from his rights and a couple of non-first-round picks to get Vegas to to take Jason Garrison off their hands. And I guess just as importantly, uh, stay away from Jake Dodson and, and, and Slater Kukuk. I mean, do we agree that was a generally a pretty smart move by them? Yeah, I think that was fine. They they had the situation there was they had to trade Garrison, even though he only has a year left. They couldn't buy him out because the the buyout savings, because of the way his contract was structured, um, would only have saved him. I think uh, they would, would have saved under two million on on everything that he would that he had left. So the buyout wasn't really an option. So they had to find a way to move him. Vegas was the only reasonable place to do it, and I think they they made best use of the Gusev asset. Like you said, he's going to be twenty seven now um, if he, if he comes to the NHL. So it's hard to say you know a 27 year old coming over um what exactly he projects to be at that point so i think they they use that asset as best they could and then you know a second and a fourth um it's not ideal um i you know you'd, you'd rather not be in a position where you have to dump contracts like that but um given the position they were in and then it had to go um i think they they did about as well as they could there and i mean honestly you know we, we talked a little this last time i had you on the show but i'm i'm just so happy that like, like i enjoy watching the tampa bay lightning play hockey but Watching that Garrison Andre Schuster pairing was one of my lowlights of the uh, 2016 17 season. So the fact that uh, we can just stop John Cooper from using that is uh, is a good thing in my books. But then, you know, they they may go ahead and make that Drew and for Sergachev trade. And I'm kind of curious for your thoughts on that one because, you know, on the surface, it seems like for a team that is trying to. You know, fancies himself a contender heading into next season. It's a bit of a step back just because, you know, we've seen that Druen is a, is a contributor at the NHL level already and we're not sure what Sergachev is or will be or, or how long it'll take him to get to that point. But at the same time, I know that you've kind of been beating the drum about while Druen is, you know, this highlight real player who, uh, just is scintillating to watch when he's on. It hasn't necessarily translated yet in terms of his impact at five on five. So it seems like it might, it might be one of those things where people can get blinded a little bit by just how fun he is to watch, but his actual contributions aren't necessarily all that great. I think you, you hit it on the head a lot in terms of, um, him not, you know, the, the full body of work, not necessarily aligning with those, with those splash moments, um, with those like super gifable <laughs> moments, right. um, that, that everybody kind of falls in love with. Um, but I think that the really interesting thing about this trade and, and I, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, and the, the way I've sort of positioned it is I'm okay with it, given the information we had at the time. Um, I'm not real comfortable, uh, with the fact that we had so little information on Druin at at age 22 and having played so many games and still feeling like he hadn't been used optimally and that there's a lot of possibility um, for his ceiling uh, to be higher than anything that we saw in Tampa because of the way that the coaching staff used him because of their relationship with the front office. Um, So 
my concern there is that that he he wasn't valued uh, appropriately because we never got to see him in an optimal situation. And if you don't develop uh, players correctly, uh, then then you could end up you know where where you perceive a player um, as having not uh, kind of reached their potential when when really there's some organizational effects. Um, that are impacting it. So I, I think that trade is really interesting. I think both teams took a huge risk. I think we could look back in a couple years in hindsight and, and either team could look bad um, in terms of giving up on on something with with a ton of of sort of top end potential. I think Sergachev is a you know potential top top pairing D, um, maybe even you know number one D if he if he evolves that way. Druin has you know the potential to be a one of the best uh, wings you know in the league. So right. two teams giving up on assets like that one for one is is that's the craziest part about that is both is that both of those teams were willing to take that risk to kind of fill a perceived need. It feels like we have uh, done this dance with the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, over the years here a couple times where, you know, they're kind of backed into a corner or, or, or forced to make a move on a young player. And then, you know, I guess the team's apologists would go ahead and say, well, the team had no no choice here. They kind of had to act and do this. But then you could kind of flip it around and be like, well, the reason they had to make that decision was because of the actions that led up to that point. And it seems like, you know, now that uh, the Drew and Tampa Bay Lightning saga is, is done with, it's, we can definitely kind of conclude that. They probably uh, would like to, to 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 do it over in terms of how they handled it pretty much right from the get go, and they, you know, I, I think the return they wound up getting is perfectly fine and very defensible. But it seems like they certainly did not optimize that asset from from the moment they spent that high pick on him. They obviously have a very uh, structured plan for the way they want guys to grow through the organization, and and that that's everything from the way that they've developed to the contracts that they get. Um, Nobody in the Lightning organization has gotten a contract like Duran just got from Montreal. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't going to get it there. Yeah. Um, all those guys took bridge deals. Kucherov took a bridge deal, um, and Duran is definitely not that. So, all those guys have taken you know two to three year deals in that spot. Um, you know at at you know lower money with the expectation that if they perform, um, they'll get that big contract when they when they get to that you know twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven range. That's what. Palat and Johnson just did this summer. Um, that's where Kalorn was last summer. Um, that that's just the organizational model, and so I, I to a certain extent, I appreciate that and I respect that. Um, but I, I think there there needed to be a little more flexibility in this scenario. It's it's you know this summer could they have done anything better? I, I don't I don't think so. Um, I think they were in a tough place. Uh, given what he's shown so far, given the fact that they weren't going to give him this contract, given the fact that he's already shown um, that he has no problem uh, taking a break from hockey for a little while um, if he's not happy with the way things are going. So I, I think they were in a tough spot, but I, I think that there were things that they could have done over the last three years to, to give themselves more flexibility and at least a little more confidence in in the value of, of the player that they were considering moving. Yeah, no, the, the, the point you make on the contracts and sort of this organizational philosophy is fascinating to me because... I'm of two minds with it. I mean, it does make sense that with young players, there'd be uh, a certain level of, you know, skepticism or, or risk averseness in terms of you don't want to necessarily commit a bunch of money over six, seven years to a young player who, especially if you're not necessarily sure, uh, what that player is going to look like for the, for the, you know, entirety of that deal. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned the Kucherov deal, for example, and while, having him at 4.76 or whatever they have for the next two seasons and last year included is one of the best values in the league. Um, 
you know what's what's his next contract going to look like in in two in the summer of 2019 it seems like it's it's very possible it's going to be like double that and i just wonder if that is the best way of doing business because you know you could argue that they've cost themselves quite a bit of money by not um committing to him long term when they had the chance while his his stats hadn't exploded although i guess you could argue that maybe kucherov was kucherov and his agent were betting on them on himself and and not willing to uh to signed for a, a below market level deal at that point of his career yeah i mean they they were in a really tough cap spot last summer and they 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 were partially to blame for that as well but there there was just no money to mm-hmm. sign him long term by the time they got to the end of that summer after they got stamkos done and got headman done um there it just wasn't an option and that's why he had to take that contract and essentially they, they had no leverage other than to just not, not play because there was no cap space um, coming from anywhere else. So unless unless somebody else wanted to step in and, and offer sheet, and I think that's one of those cases where we look at it and see if, if nobody offer sheeted Kucherov when the team literally couldn't afford to pay him, um, then it's it's just never going to happen because he's one of the best players in the league and somebody could have stolen him easily um, and Tampa wouldn't be able to do anything about it. So, um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, Overall, I, the thing I appreciate about it is I, I like having a plan. I like um, the fact that obviously somebody's thought this through. Somebody's saying this is the way we do things. You know, we're going to lay this out. We're going to execute, um, and we're going to go through. You know, with each player like this, and I it, it gives it sets expectations for the players when they come into the organization. You know, where am I going to be in year two? Where am I going to be in year three? Year four? Um, but. To your point, I don't necessarily know that I agree with the actual plan. So while I like having a plan, um, I think it might be better to lock those guys up younger. Um, We see a lot of these guys at 22, 23 signing these, you know, six year, six million, you know, kind of deals for for good forwards. um, And they had some opportunities to do things like that and didn't. And it will end up costing them in the long term. On the flip side, they Steve Eiserman seems to be really good at moving these deals on the back end when he has to get rid of them. Um, so I'm guessing maybe he, there's a little bit of him betting on himself to say, you know, we'll we'll sign these contracts through age 32, but we're confident that at age 30 or 31, if we need to if we need to move them, that we can. Yeah, when are when are uh, opposing GMs going to stop trading with Steve Eiserman? I feel like that would be you know if I if I was a GM and I had a, a list of sort of a you know like a plan for my organization, one of them would probably be uh, just ignore his phone calls if he ever reaches out to you. Yeah, the the Philpola deal at the trade deadline was was bizarre to me. It didn't it didn't help um, either Philly or or uh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> And it just bailed out one of their rivals yeah. um, completely. Just like, here, we're going to take five mil off your off your books when we when we know you're totally cap crunched and you have all these RFAs coming up this summer. Um, that that'd be an interesting thing to try to study. Like, does does the value that you get from having Philbo on your team outweigh? you know, causing Tampa to, to lose a player or have to eat another buyout or something that that was a I, I really couldn't believe that he was able to move him that easily with no money retained. Um, that was that was pretty crazy. Yeah, he uh, he seems to know what he's doing. Um, yeah, no, the, the, the Shagachev uh, component of this, you know, it's very easy to uh, to key in on on Drew and just because of all the reasons we've outlined. But with Shagachev, uh, the thing is, is like, you know, it's very. It seems very plausible that he could step into an NHL lineup right now and contribute. And especially considering that he can't play in the AHL, but doesn't really have much left to prove or learn in the OHL. So he's in this like tricky little spot, and it just seems like he's probably best suited for his development to just 
play in the NHL and, and learn through his mistakes. But at the same time, you have this caveat in this in this deal where if he plays uh, under 40 NHL games next season, including playoffs, the Lightning essentially swap a sixth rounder into a second rounder, which is an immensely valuable transaction for them. So they're incentivized to uh, to you know strategically play Sergachev or maybe keep him down in the OHL for a while and then bring him up towards the end of the season for, for a playoff run, uh, which is obviously kind of a tricky thing because, you know, coaches are very conservative and maybe if he hasn't spent all year with the team, uh, John Cooper might be less likely to all of a sudden give him a valuable role when, and when the season's on the line. But I don't know, like, how do you think, how do you think they're going to handle that situation? And do you think that we could see him on the Tampa Bay lightning from day one, or is it something they're going to kind of push back and, and look, look ahead to the future? Yeah, I think that's one of the really interesting stories going into camp. And the caveat on that deal is is 40 games, including the playoffs. Mm, yep. So, I mean, if they make a deep playoff run, it's basically like he would have to come up for the last month of the season. Um, and that, that seems like a really tight timeline. So it seems like it's either he's going to spend the year in Tampa or, or he'll spend the year, um, you know, back in the OHL. Uh, they counting him, they have AD who would project to make the roster. And so it's tough for me to see them carrying eight for most of the year. So somebody's going to have to, somebody's going to have to drop. Um, it's not going to be Dan Girardi. Uh, so it's either going to be, it's either going to be Sergachev, uh, or, uh, Cuckoo or, or Dachin would seem the most likely candidates, um, so we'll kind of have to watch those three in camp um, to, to to see how it goes. But they've really they've created a logjam uh, for themselves at the blue line, and and a, the problem is that a lot of those uh, players aren't necessarily very good. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that that's kind of a weird spot to be in, where you have eight guys that you feel like you should be carrying, and probably three of them, um, you know, don't have a whole lot to offer. So. I'm not sure exactly how they plan to approach that. I think it's going to be sort of a prove it moment for three or four of those guys in camp. And then we'll see, we'll see who who comes out. Um, Ideally, he should be in Tampa. I think he's ready to play. Um, I don't know that another year in the OHL does him much good uh, developmentally. So I I would prefer to see him in Tampa, but I don't know if the roster is going to allow that to happen this year. Yeah, especially with um, you know the team's timeline and ambitions this season, like it makes sense that if he sh- if he proves in camp that he's ready uh, and he forces their hand, that they would just you know bite the bullet and 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 not and and not turn that sixth rounder into a second rounder. I mean, it's not uh, it's not the end of the world, but you know, you mentioned some of those guys on on the blue line, and you know, like a guy like Slater Cuckoo is is uh, very tantalizing to me because I, I watch him. And you can sort of see the skills of, of why he was a first round pick and why he was highly regarded. But then, you know, we go back to this thing of, of how uh, Tampa Bay has this plan for their young players. And I feel like they've really kind of butchered uh, their usage of him because it seems like he's just constantly being shuttled back and forth and sitting in the press box and not playing. And so we've never really gotten this extended stretch of time to just let Slater Cuckoo just be an NHL defenseman and see what he actually is. So I... I I just I don't really know what to make of him as a player and and that kind of uh as an analyst and a perfectionist that that kind of irritates me a little bit because I'd like to know more about him. Yeah, this is there's a there's a Druan corollary here where it's like uh at this age I should know this much about this player right. and I don't because he hasn't been used in any way that would help me learn anything meaningful about him. Um and I don't you know, I'm I'm a little bit confused with him. Um, his numbers were not good when he played last year. Um, 
they just weren't. I mean, I, I I love the style of game he plays. I want him to develop. I I expected him to be kind of a second pairing guy. Um, he didn't. He just didn't show that um, when when he was up last year. But he also didn't get uh, much of a chance uh, to, to play consistently and, and get consistent minutes. Um, I still think back to the Eastern Conference Final against the Penguins when he looked like the third best D on the ice for the lightning. It was like, it was Hedman and Strawman and Kuka was the only other guy on that blue line who looked like he could skate with the penguins. Um, so that there's talent there. Uh, we'll just have to see if it kind of, if it kind of comes forward this year. Um, it's, it's interesting when you look at a player like Jake Dotson, who, who came up at the end of last year and played, uh, with Victor Hedman hmm. for basically all of his time in the NHL last season. And then you think you compare that to sort of the treatment that Slater Cuckoo got where he was um, the best partner that he had was Braden Coburn right. uh, at any point. And it's, you can kind of, it's kind of easy to see why Dotchin, you know, looked really good in his minutes and why the team is so high on him compared to compared to where Cuckoo is now. So I think um, a lot of people are hoping that maybe if he can get some minutes with somebody like Anton Strawman. Um, at the beginning of this season and and start just get some consistent time um, and a consistent role and and get his feet under him that that we could see him um, finally uh, take off this year yeah yeah no and, and I like sort of the uh just comparing him and 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 uh you know Kuku Kandachin because uh around the expansion draft there was sort of this debate people were having on you know if 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 Eisenman wasn't going to make a deal for involving Garrison to incentivize Vegas to take him, who Vegas would prefer. And they're so stylistically different. And obviously Dotchin looked really good in his, in his limited sample, uh, last season when he came up. But yeah, there's the fact that he was pretty much playing exclusively with Victor Hedman. And I feel like you and I would probably look good in those minutes. So it's, it, it, it's kind of tough. I never really know what to make of players like him because, you know, there's this argument to be made that he could be a very reliable defensive defenseman and do all that stuff that more traditional old school, old school types would prefer. But at the same time, it seems like his upside is pretty capped and he's not going to contribute much offensively in terms of moving the puck. So I'm just not sure in today's NHL, how valuable that guy is really. Yeah. And I feel like I need um, more time with those guys too, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's more difficult to, um, assess like consistent defensive play and does he really shut down the other team at the blue line and um, does he really make kind of difference making plays um, in his own zone because he doesn't contribute offensively and that's there's there's good defensemen in this league still um, who who don't contribute a lot offensively but I mean I can count on on one hand the number of times that he, I, he made like a good pass in the offensive zone <laughs> and when he was in Tampa last year so um He's he's really kind of a, a a one dimensional player, but if that one dimension is is good, and you put him next to a guy like Victor Hedman, and and now Hedman doesn't have to worry so much about um, what's going on behind him, and he can really focus on pushing the pace, then you know sometimes that that can be a good be that can be a good fit. Um, so we'll just have to see kind of how you know I would really like to see him in a different pairing and see you know what the what the results are. Um, Dodging that is to see if he can kind of replicate that because. Uh, that his numbers with with Hedman were outstanding, but I think there's you know you, ha- you have to take that with a grain of salt a little bit. Yeah, and with defensive defensemen, you can really get yourself into trouble because it seems like in you know in 2017 the guys we hold up as the gold standards for that, whether it's you know like a Mark Edward Vlasic or a Nicholas Jalmerson, who are guys that you know play heavy minutes against other teams' best players and don't put up a lot of points but are still valuable. Like if you watch those guys, they're still 
good with the puck. Like, they're, you know, they're not necessarily activating on the rush and, and, and generating a ton of offense in the, in the offensive zone, but, you know, they can get the puck out of their own zone. And, and if they're relied upon, they can make crisp tape to tape passes. And that's a, a, a very valuable skill that might not necessarily be measured by points, but is, uh, very conducive to being a, a good NHL defenseman. And we still haven't really seen that from Dodgson. So like, I'm not sure how far, uh, you know, clearing the crease, uh, in front of your goalie will take you and whether that's actually a repeatable skill that matters. So it's, uh, I guess with a guy like him, it's just, uh, it's a, it's more of a wait and see basis. Yeah, and that's that's where stuff like the passing data that we start mm-hmm. to look at and, and zone exit data starts to become um, important. You want that guy to be able to make that first pass, um, you know, at least get the puck out of the zone and and spring the forwards. Um, and I'm, yeah, the, Dotchin is still a little bit of a, a mystery for me. Um, I'm I'm really interested to see what he looks like in camp this year and what he looks like with maybe a little a little bit different usage than than the super favorable uh, usage that he got at the end of last season. You, you know, we're uh, we're deep in the summer and deep in the trenches here when we're spending like a good five minutes on on Jake Dotchin. <laughs> but listen, man, that's why uh, that's why people come to the Hockey PDO cast and I can't find that type of content anywhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if it was a little more positive, like I, you know, maybe his family would be listening and they would be like, like super stoked that we spent, we spent five minutes on that. But, uh, but yeah, he, he, I mean, you can't, you, you can't dispute kind of the results that they put up with him on the ice last year. And he, he freed up that blue line. He let Anton Stroman slide down to the second pair so that they could get that. That's what split up that Schuster Garrison pairing was, was Dodgson coming up. So him coming up was the really kind of the turning point of the season for them. Um, so, so it was huge. It'll just be interesting to see if he can continue that, uh, this season. So defensive defenseman, uh, analytics, uh, Dan Girardi. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I have some notes here on my screen, um, like general talking points or angles I want to steer this discussion in. And then I have all these moves they've done this summer. And then I just have the Dan Girardi contract. And I don't really, I, I don't know where to begin this discussion. I mean, there's so many, uh, different ways we can kind of get into this and peel back the layers. I mean, I think the most fascinating part of it is, uh, the comments that were made about how their own internal analytics, uh, value him maybe more than some of the publicly available, uh, mainstream stuff. Um, it's, you know, it's always tough to know how much of that is a smokescreen and they're just using that to, uh, to get people to settle down a little bit and, and just defer to, to their decision to sign him. Like I, I having tracked various things and also looked at, looked at some stuff that teams are using, uh, haven't necessarily found anything that would signify that Dan Girardi is a useful NHL player at this point of his career, but. I don't know, like what could they possibly be looking at that is an actual thing that, that would lead them to believe that this was a good signing? So there's nothing. Um, I think we would all feel pretty confident in that. And so then then you start to go to like, well, well, what's going on? Because they have there. I think most people would say that the Lightning are a fairly intelligent organization. They have mm-hmm. a fairly, fairly well-respected person leading their analytics department. Um, and, and Michael Peterson, who's been at conferences and who's done some radio spots and stuff, talking about the way, the way that the team uses analytics to help make decisions. Um, so it's not like they they don't know what they're doing there. So so that's and I think we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of this kind of undercurrent across the league um, that some of these um, third party data companies are maybe providing either raw data or, or reports um, that are kind of 
pushing teams um, towards some of these decisions. We heard those rumblings with the with the Chris Russell deal in Edmonton and the stuff in Tampa with Girardi sounds very similar. Um, it's obvious that there's there's metrics floating around in the league um, that are suggesting that that these guys add some sort of value. Um, and there's a gap there between what they're seeing and, w- and what we're seeing publicly. And I guess it's possible that we're that we're wrong. But um, I, I have a hard time believing that there's some kind of impact that could justify, you know, just the fundamental um, sort of gaps that we see in terms of shot share and expected goal share. And you don't even have to get into anything more complex than that to just see um, how bad his impact is. And I think he was the the second or third worst play like qualifying player in um, DTM about hearts uh, goals above replacement statistic last mm. season. So there's, there's just sort of like a fundamental baseline where you can, where you, you don't need to dig a whole lot deeper um, into any kind of other specific metrics to understand that, that the player is having a negative impact. And so I think there's still a gap there for teams. Um, obviously they're, they're still valuing, you know, uh, you know, some of the more, some of the intangibles, some of the leadership things. Um, I think those things are value. It's difficult to put a price tag on those. Um, it's difficult to know how much those things actually impact on the ice. Uh, so I, I think it's, I think this is a pretty standard situation of they've got some metrics that it seem questionable from the outside, um, plus the intangible stuff. And that leads to this kind of deal, which is ultimately going to hurt the team because there's hard, it's hard to envision um, any sort of usage where Dan Girardi is going to, you know, make the team better um, in, in any way. Yeah. I feel like if they were just uh, transparent about it and they came on, they were like, listen, Dan Girardi is just an awesome dude. Uh, guys on our team are vouching for him and they really just want to hang out with him on a daily basis. And we feel like it's going to improve the vibe in our locker room. I'd be like, I don't agree with spending uh, two years and $3 million per season on that. But at least, you know, I could, I could understand how that would improve uh, the atmosphere and maybe it would, you know, your players would be happier and, 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 and so on and so forth. But it's like you go into this uh, black box discussion about, uh, you know, these uh, it, proprietary metrics they're using. And I just, you know, whether it's with zone exits or defending zone entries or just purely watching them, I mean, I don't even think it's like the, the Chris Russell thing, because at least when you watch Chris Russell, just purely from the eye test, like at least the guy can skate and look like you know uh, a, a warm body I, I feel like if you watch Dan Girardi in this year's playoffs alone just he's just kind of flailing around there without really any purpose or plan and he can't keep up with anyone and I just don't see how you could talk yourself into that being a thing that you want on your team even even as like a seventh defenseman really but I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out and how they justify it when it doesn't work out yeah, it's it's going to be ugly. Um, and yeah, there, it's it's one of those things when it happened, it's it's kind of weird because usually there's like an argument and I don't even feel like there's an argument to have here. It's just like, oh, they just signed one of the worst players in the league for two years and three million bucks and he's going to eat up 15 to 20 minutes of ice time every night uh, for the next two seasons. So we'll just have to figure out how to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not ideal. It's not ideal. I'll say that. Um, yeah, the other, other moves they made, I mean, listen, uh, I'm not sure how much Chris Kunitz has left in the tank, but even if you're leaning towards a more skeptical end of things, it's still ultimately just a one-year deal. And I feel like as a sort of depth, even like a third uh, third line winger, like he could contribute some value there so like I, I i don't i don't see how you could necessarily be too up in arms about that one i don't know like were people negative on that move or was it sort of just a, a like were you okay with it i don't know how do you feel about it yeah i mean i think that's fine yeah. i i personally i i don't 
know how much of a difference there is between um, Kunitz and Adam Ernie at this point. Hmm. You know, I might rather Adam Ernie get those minutes and develop and see what he can become. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's they obviously wanted experience and you know rings and all that stuff. Uh, you know, playoff experience was really important to them this summer. So I think that if if they're looking for those things, that's that's a reasonable way um, to get some of that. And it's it's only a one year deal. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I have here that they've done and. You know, we can talk about uh, Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson individually in terms of the players they are and, and their extensions, but I think sort of just uh, wrapping it up into a, a a bigger sort of topic is, you know, they're going to have no trade clauses, I believe, in their deals, and, and I saw um, a chart that kind of broke down how many uh, no trade clauses each team's given out currently and I think the Lightning will be tied with the Red Wings for most in the league with those two deals. Um which I think is an interesting discussion to be had because, you know, on the one hand, it's generally a sign that you have a bunch of really good players that are commanding those deals, and that's a good problem to have. But at the same time, you really are kind of backing yourselves into a corner and, and potentially tying your hands when those players either stop retaining value or you have to deal them to make room for future contracts. And we've seen time and time again how teams wind up regretting it and have to pay exorbitant prices to, to make it work or just have to bite the bullet on certain things. And you know, it might not be necessarily be a huge problem right now for the Lightning, but you could envision how a couple of years from now, all of a sudden, they're going to be uh, having to answer a lot of questions on in terms of why they were comfortable giving out all these deals. Yeah, they they um they seem locked into this core top six uh, forwards for the next like four to five years, mm. and nothing is really going to change there. And they've assured that. Uh, by giving everybody no trade clauses. They they did structure almost all of those deals so that those clauses dropped to I think ten teams um on the on the back end of those deals. Like on the last three years, I think pretty much everyone it's another thing that they do. They everybody gets paid at the same time and everybody gets the same no trade clause. Mm-hmm. Um and they so so they do give themselves more flexibility on the back end of those contracts. But yeah, they I mean they seem loyalty seems to be really important and there so they're they're kind of saying to the players that you know if you're you're going to commit to this organization we're going to commit to you and you're going to be here um you know until you're 30 <laughs> and then and then we'll we'll figure it out after that but um yeah I don't, I don't love it uh i think i think some of them are fine right players like stamkos um, players like Hedman, Kucherov will have one um, at some point, even a player like Andre Palat. Um, but when you start giving them to Alex Kalorn long term, um, you know, Girardi and Kunitz both have one for for whatever reason. I know people say it's only one year or two years, but why are you why are you locking themselves into those players? If Kunitz isn't good this year, why wouldn't you want to be able to flip him at the deadline um, for something or just to clear a roster spot? Um, so that that's the kind of stuff that's a little a little uh, confusing to me with how how much they're kind of throwing them around at the at the lower end of the roster. I'm fine with it, um, you know, for guys that they want to commit to long term for a reason. But it, it seems like they're going a little overboard. Yeah, I mean, I get the logic of it sometimes, where it's like you know you can uh, save some some money on it in terms of you know, a player might be willing to take a bit less if you give him that type of uh, security that he's not going to be at risk of being traded. But with like guy like Dan Girardi, I feel like. Uh, he, he wasn't he probably wasn't getting more than six million dollars for two years from anyone else so it seems like uh that no trade clause was a big gratuitous there and unnecessary but uh it seems like they're comfortable with it and we'll see uh, how that works out for them um alan let's take a quick little break here to hear from our sponsor and uh we'll get back to this lightning discussion on the other end of things sounds good 
big part of the reason we're able to keep churning out the show throughout the summer while everyone else seemingly has uh, taken time off to enjoy their well-deserved off-season break is because of the fine folks at SeatGeek who are sponsoring today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. The other thing they're doing is helping make the process of finding and acquiring tickets to sporting events and concerts easier than ever before. While I know some of you out there fancy yourselves bargain hunters and enjoy the grind of scouring various websites and trying to find the best deals, most of you probably have bigger and more important things to worry about on a daily basis. And that makes your time really precious, and SeatGeek knows that, and that's why they are doing all of this work for you. They put together a collection of the best values available for whatever event your heart desires. All right, um, so let's talk a little bit about the outlook for next season. Um where are you at with this team in terms of um, sort of your projection or your expectation for them heading into next year? Like, do you think that they're immediately going to just step back into that kind of contender status atop the East that they had heading into last season? Or do you think we need to recalibrate a bit and maybe temper our expectations for them? Um, I, th- I think the Atlantic is going to be interesting next year. Um, I think sort of the emergence of Toronto kind of changes the dynamic. Um, you can't just expect to, to kind of run through that anymore. Um, I think they will contend for a division title. I think they're still, um, I, I think they're still a step below, uh, Pittsburgh, um, Washington obviously took a, a pretty big step back this summer, so we'll have to see how they how they look going forward. So, I, I mean, I think they're still in that, you know, probably top maybe four to five or maybe six teams um, in the East. It's just going to be about uh, kind of how they gel, and it's going to be about really a lot of it is about that blue line and how that all shakes out and um, where the pairings land and, you know, how they can, how they can make that kind of patchwork uh defense work and then um with Stamkos coming back he's got to get back to the level he was at at the beginning of last season and if if he does and that that top that top six kind of performs the way that it can um then I mean that that on its own is enough to power them um to a deep playoff run so it's it's really about you know can can he get back to his level and then is can the blue line not be you know a disaster yeah well i mean and you know last year they really were uh decimated by injuries i believe uh only Kalor and schuster and coburn played uh in 80 games for them so it's like you know if they get have a bit better injury luck there um and they're not having to consistently just cycle through different combinations of players and just shuttle guys back and forth between tampa and syracuse that'd be huge and the Atlantic, as you mentioned, is is fascinating to me. I think it's, you know, it's definitely fortunate for them that they're not playing in the Metro. I feel like uh, most of their you know peers or teams are going to be stacking themselves up and measuring themselves up against will be in the Metro division with with the teams like the Capitals and the Penguins. Um, you know, if you look around the Atlantic, uh, are the Leafs the only team in that division that there's reason to believe will be? better than they were last season like i feel like all the teams either sort of took lateral steps or are even going to take noticeable steps backwards like i guess maybe the sabers but they're sort of on a different relative scale here compared to the other teams we're talking about yeah i think that's fair um i think uh montreal is kind of always uh when you have a goalie like that you know it just you're kind of always in it um so we'll, we'll see obviously they've done some interesting things to their roster since the trade deadline and then again this summer um they've done some really good things and then they've done some other things that maybe aren't so good so um we'll we'll see how all that that shakes out for them but yeah i I think it's uh, you know my my top two going into the season i think is is tampa and and toronto and 
um, to, honestly, to, Toronto terrifies me. They're they're uh, the youth on that team and talent is it, it, it like it's it's a little overwhelming sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they they still have some holes on the back end of their roster and um, depth wise, I think they'll they'll still have some issues, but. That that Matthews uh, Nylander combination is is scary, and then when you throw Marner out there on the second line, and that 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 team is is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, just like the natural progression of those young guys developing and potentially taking uh, steps up next year is is a scary proposition for everyone else. Um, yeah, no, the, the Habs will, assuming Carey Price is is healthy and able to play like sixty something games for them, they're going to win a lot of games in the regular season. I have no doubt about about that. I think the the, the race for the third team at Atlantic Division is is probably the most interesting part of this because. You know, like I think everyone expects the Senators to take a step back next year, um, just based on the fact that they were very fortunate this season. And I, we'll, we'll see. Like they, they obviously have some really high end players that could carry them. So I'm not necessarily going to completely write them off, but I'm, I'm skeptical that they'll be able to uh, be right up there again next season. And then, you know, with the other teams, I mean, the the Red Wings are a complete write off. They're they're an abomination at this point, and the Panthers, uh, unfortunately, I think have taken one of the biggest steps back of anyone in the league from from last year to this coming season. So I'm kind of writing them off there. So it's it's between the Bruins and the Senators for that third third spot on Atlantic. I'd, I'd I'd love to see the Sabers take a big step forward, but I'm not sure if that's realistic at this point. Yeah, I don't know that the Sabres are there yet. I do like the direction their organization is headed. Um, I think they made a great choice at GM. I think they've made some some relatively smart decisions um, kind of getting started uh, this offseason. So I, I think that, that they're an organization that has some interesting pieces and has some flexibility um, to build over the next few years. I, I think... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page w- with with you there on on most of the other teams. The Sens, I think, will will take a step back. I just, you know, I I, I lived the Guy Boucher experience, um, and uh, I I just that that style of play that you know you have to win these these one goal games at an incredible rate um, to be competitive. I just think it's it's really tough to sustain that. Um, so I'm I'm I, I wasn't a believer last year and I was wrong. Um, so I will continue to not be a believer and uh, see if they prove me wrong again. Um, Boston is always interesting. They have a lot of talent. Um, you know they they made a coaching change last year that um, you know. I guess maybe uh, they, they felt like they need to make, but I don't know that that made the team better. Um, and so we'll see how that how that all comes together for them. They obviously still have enough talent um, to win a bunch of games, but uh, their their goaltending last year was was a huge issue uh, behind Tuka Rask. And so yeah. we'll we'll see if he can, uh, you know, give a superhuman kind of performance this season to to get them beyond where they went last year yeah and the thing with a team like the bruins is you we know how big of a grind the uh the 82 game regular season is and i feel like they have very little wiggle room in terms of their depth like if one of those top guys for them uh you know, is out for any extended period of time, uh, or a guy like Zdeno Chara takes uh, another step back just because of his age and all the miles he has on his body. All of a sudden, like they could, they could really be scrambling, and I'm just not sure that they have the. Uh, you know, like we talk about with the Leafs, there's all these young players that it's very uh, plausible that they're going to get better next season. I just don't see that type of internal improvement that's there for the Bruins, other than if you're just expect that, you know, a guy like Charlie McAvoy is all of a sudden going to just take the league by storm and be one of the best players. But it's uh, it, it seems like a risky proposition on my end of things. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think 
you know, if we're being honest, they'll they'll look fairly similar to yeah. to the way they did last year. And they had some bad luck shooting wise last year. Um, some of that was systems driven. So it'll be interesting to see what they look like under a different coach for a full year. And if you know, if maybe a few more of those shots going in on their end, and you know, the opposite at the other end, then you know they'll, they'll end up in a better spot. But um, you know, I think I think it's it's Tampa, Toronto, and then and then Montreal, and then kind of there, there's a scramble after that for, for the rest of the division. Well, one last thing on the Sabres. I mean, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that you liked the direction they're headed in, and I, I completely agree. I think that pretty much all the moves they've made this summer ever since Jason Botterill took over have been uh, very positive and encouraging. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, for a while now it feels like Botterill and Julian Brisewell have been on these lists of uh, sort of up-and-coming executives whenever there's an opening somewhere. They're the guys that kind of get cited as being uh, warranting consideration or being in, in, interviewing for the job. And I'm just kind of curious, like, when uh, when a guy like Brisewell is going to finally going to get that opportunity of his own. Like, it's quite possible that he's very happy with his current spot right now as Steve Eisenman's right-hand man, but at the same time, he has been at this gig since, I believe, 2010 when Eisenman took over the Lightning, and it seems like uh, eventually he's going to be able to spread his wings, and I feel like most people around the league are pretty optimistic that he's going to that he's going to be the right man for the job. But I'm just I'm kind of curious to see when that is finally going to happen because it seems like every year we've we're talking about it, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I I would expect him to to take a job sooner or sooner rather than later. I think I mean I don't have any kind of inside information or anything, but I I think there was a general feeling of sort of um failure around the organization this year mm. um and i think that maybe there's some hesitancy to for anyone to kind of i think there there's a there's a feeling within the team to like rally around and everybody come back next year and we have to fix what happened last year um and i think everybody's really committed to kind of seeing this team hit its ceiling um so i, I wouldn't be surprised if there, there's a little bit of that at play um with him but yeah I, I can't imagine that we go another you know two to three years without him uh, taking a GM job. He's got, he's got too much respect around the league. Um, he's shown it, uh, with the way that he's sort of, um, you know, driving some of the decisions for Iserman and the, and the way that they've incorporated different things and, and the, the crunch have been a good team, um, under him. So in Syracuse. So I, I think that, uh, I think his opportunity is coming. I, I also wouldn't be surprised if he's trying to pick his spot a little bit, um, because we've heard his name for so long. I'm sure he's, I'm sure every job that comes up, he's at, he's at least getting a phone call. So he may be, um, you know, trying to wait for that, that exact right spot where he feels like he has the control, um, and the flexibility to kind of implement things the way he wants to. Yeah, obviously. I mean, for us, uh, not having the inside information or anything or knowing sort of the machinations of how, uh, the day-to-day process goes for these teams, it's always interesting to sort of just be able to kind of differentiate who's responsible for what and, and, and figuring out, you know, whether a lot of these smart moves they've been making over the years have been more, more Iserman driven or Breezewa driven. So I think, you know, we'll eventually kind of, uh, learn a little bit more about that when he finds Finally, does move on to his new job, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, one final thing about the Lightning before we move on to something else is I don't even know if this is like warranting a discussion, but I just had this crazy realization that John Cooper is currently the second longest tenured coach in the league, which blew my mind because it seems like yesterday that he was this uh, kind of just like new, young, fresh coach in the league, and 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 was starting this trend of, of younger coaches that were uh, this new wave of guys that was being brought into the league, and all of a sudden now uh, only Joel Quenville has been with his current team longer, which, I don't know, I, I maybe you were aware of that and you're following this more situation more closely, but it kind of blew my mind a little bit. 
Yeah, the the that I think that's more of a function of the turnover rate mm. <laughs> around him than than anything else. But yeah, it's 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 crazy uh, how fast teams move on from coaches. Um, and then it's also interesting to start thinking about um, this is a very different thing for him. And there's a couple people um, at, at Raw Charge who who have brought this up that. Uh, you know, he's ne- this is the first time for him that he's really been in a position for an extended period of time. Um, in both of his previous stops on on his way through through professional hockey, he he won a cup in the second year and moved on. Um, and in Tampa, they they went to the Stanley Cup final in his second year, and so uh, this is kind of new territory for him in terms of managing an organization, ongoing as players grow and develop. You know, we we've definitely seen he has. Um, his players that he likes um, that came up with him and and there's been some issues sometimes with with integrating new players who didn't come who didn't sort of grow with him up into the organization so I think there's there's a lot of room um, for him to improve I think consistency is a great thing um, I think organizations uh, part of the reason teams struggle is because they don't have consistency and they don't have a, a sort of a singular vision and where where everyone is kind of aligned on on what their goals are. So I, I like the fact that that they're sticking with him. Um, but I would like to see him kind of show a little bit more flexibility and be willing to change things and and willing to help the organization grow and him grow as a coach so that they can so that they can continue to be competitive. Yeah, I guess uh, just something to keep in mind next time you see a team. Uh, hand out a uh, a multi-year extension to a coach before his current deal even expires like i get why they do that because you need to show the you know the players in the room that the coach is there to stay and they have to listen to him but at the same time it's uh the turnover is just is just so nuts i mean cooper's been with the lightning since march 2013 and he's the second longest tenured guy and i think quenville was in 2008 and then Vigneault was a few months after cooper and then it's just like a medley of guys in 2014 2015 and 2016 and it seems like uh the for a coach these days is generally like I feel like somewhere between two to four years and then all of a sudden if they have a, a hiccup or a bad season they're going to be the first ones to, be, to get blamed yeah as soon as that as soon as that PDO dip comes now and then it's time to it's time to move on and I think Cooper actually is is up next summer mm. so I think he's I, I don't think he's working on a on a he I think he got his extension the previous year so um that'll be interesting that's kind of an interesting dynamic going into this season there was you know, I think some frustration um, for everybody with the way last season went. So everybody kind of has something to prove going into this fall and him included. Yeah. Okay. Um, so enough about the lightning for now. Let's, uh, you know, I was trying to think of other topics for us to discuss and it, it being August right now, there's very few things to look forward to over this coming month in the NHL. I mean, you know, there's going to be a couple of big RFA deals handed out with, with guys like Dre Seidel and Johansson. But as we mentioned in the Kucherov discussion, there's no reason to believe that there's going to be any, any drama or any teams jumping into the fray there. So it seems pretty cut and dried. I thought, uh, a more interesting thing for us to look at would be potentially kind of fantasy booking, uh, Yarmo Jagger landing spots because I know that he, people have recently been, uh, you know, discussing why teams haven't, uh, kind of looked at him or given him a shot or why he's still around. Cause it seems like he still could be a very useful contributor unlike most of the other guys who are currently still looking for deals. And I don't know, let's, uh, let's just kind of look around the league and, and try and come up with the most fun potential spots for him to go to. Um, do you have any off the top of your head that you think he'd be kind of the best at just in terms of, uh, rooting interest as a general NHL fan? 
the Tampa Bay Lightning have an opening <laughs> on the right wing on their second line because Jonathan Drew got traded. Um, I, I don't think that they really have the the financial wherewithal um, to, to sign him. And that, I think that really becomes the issue is, you know, what is his role going to be? Where does his where, you know, what kind of money is he willing to take for this year? And is he looking to play on a contender? Because because I would imagine um, that at this point in his career, if he's going to come back, he's going to be he's going to be looking for at least a, a, a playoff team, if not a shot, you know, at a cup. Yeah. Well, I mean, the interesting wrinkle with him is, you know, then this is probably a testament to his preparation and his workout regimen and how how well he takes care of his body. But I mean, I think over the past four years, he's played 82, 77, 79 and 82 regular season games. And while I'm sure that, you know, as a competitive athlete, he prides himself on that and that consistency. And I'm sure he wants to uh, make up for all the years he missed in terms of racking up points and moving up the leaderboards. There's also at this stage of his career, absolutely no reason that he should be putting that kind of unnecessary punishment on his body. And, you know, I'd love to see him, uh, regardless of where he goes, uh, you know, be used strategically, whether it's sitting him on, on back to backs or even kind of strategically giving him an occasional week or two off in soft spots of the schedule, because it seems like, you know, I think every NHL player should probably only be playing around 60 to 70 regular season games. Uh, it seems like the ideal amount of, of wear and tear on them and then saving some gas for gas in the tank for the playoffs. But I think like even with him, um, you know, if he's, uh, if he's playing around 50, I feel like that's the best for him. And which I guess begs the question of whether maybe he's just best off sitting back and waiting out the first couple months of the playoffs and up a really regular season and then strategically picking a contender to sign on with sometime around Christmas. So, I mean, that's been, that's been my argument. Um, you know, Roger Clemens used to do that in baseball. Um, he used to wait until, wait until later in the season and then, um, and then kind of sign on board at that point and, and play the rest of the year. So, I would like to see, um, but I think that would be interesting because if you do that, then you wait for teams to maybe develop a need um, mm-hmm. that isn't there now. Um, maybe there's some increased cap flexibility with injuries and things like that. So I think that up- opens up a lot of uh, different opportunities if he was to go that route. Yeah, or injuries. I mean, you know, some, something something will come up where maybe a team is better than expected or a team is worse than expected and you avoid having latched on with them. I mean, it, it makes sense for him to, uh, to kind of wait that out. I think, yeah, so I mean, just a value, like, I don't know, I... I don't know how much you watched him last year. I, I watched a fair bit, and I definitely think it's fair to say that maybe he looked a tad bit slower than he had the year before. But at the same time, I mean, he's not necessarily this guy that's relying on his speed. I mean, he's it's a lot of kind of positioning and smarts and just playing this uh, grind you down puck possession style of game. So I don't like. Do you think we're at the point now where he has actually started to uh, maybe lose it a bit physically and 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 have the game pass him by, or do you think it's just? he can still kind of keep being that player he's been for the past few years and be a very useful contributor for some teams kind of middle six wing. So I think that's a really interesting point um, about him sort of losing a step mm. um, speed wise, because I think like the buzzword this, this off season has been all about speed. And when people talk about the pens, they talk about the speed. And I, I think sometimes we get into these kind of, um, you know, what is the hottest thing right now in front offices? And and so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of, you know, if he can't, if he's, if he's a step behind the other guys on the line um, and is, is he going to be able to execute the system sort of the way that we envision it? Are we going to have to cater to him um, to kind of, to kind of fit, to kind of get the most out of him and that kind of thing. And I, I wonder if there's a little bit of that 
going on in front offices and teams saying, you know, we'd, we'd rather play our, you know, 24 year old, you know, middle six wing, um, who we don't have to make any adjustments for, um, than bring in a guy like Yager. Um, I don't know if that's part of what's driving it or if it's just, you know, more of a money thing that he's still looking to make kind of first line money and, and, and people aren't willing to commit to that. Um, but I, I do think he's taken a step back a little bit, but it's, it's, he's just, like you said, he's so unique in his, in his intelligence and his approach that he's, he's still able to produce. So if somebody gives him sort of the flexibility to, to do what he can do, then I'm, I'm sure he would still put up results. It's just a matter of someone is willing to, um, you know, bring him in and kind of, kind of, cater the game to, to him a little bit to get them the most out of him right that is something we do have to consider here in terms of uh picking a team for him it's that stylistic fit because you know this discussion has come up in terms of like i think you can make the argument that at this point in their careers yager would still be a more preferable player just in a vacuum than uh than patrick marlowe but you know for the leafs in particular like in terms of the pace they can both play at at this point in their careers Patty Marlowe probably with his skating ability makes more sense and can probably keep up with guys like Austin Matthews and, 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 and Mitch Marner or Willie Nylander or, or so on and so forth. So, you know, we do have to factor that in as well. Um, the other thing with him is, you know, wait, Alan, what's going on in the background there, man? Do you, you, you have a pet or something? Yeah, uh, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> do you want to hold on a second? Yeah, sure. I don't know what that was. If it was like the, plumbing or something but it's stopped so i don't know <laughs> okay no sweat um i'll just jump back into it yeah right. so the other thing with yager um is you know you look at his numbers from last season and i think it's very easy to trick yourself into thinking that he was a different player than he was the year before just based on the underlying percentages i mean the panthers as a team in, in 2015-16 had that uh, magical, you know, season, regular season where they had that long winning streak and really surprised people and made the playoffs. And Yager was no different from a lot of his teammates where he was riding this insane five on five on ice shooting percentage. I believe it was like nearly 12% uh, in 2015-16 and dipped back down to a much more reasonable 8% last year. And, you know, personally, it pretty much got cut in, in third from what it was the year prior. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, fewer pucks are going in. Uh, and then all of a sudden that's reflected in his point totals. And it's very easy with a guy his age to just kind of all of a sudden just think that that represents uh, some sort of, you know, loss in terms of his physical ability. And I think that that's definitely kind of in play here as well. Yeah, I yeah, I mean I think that's that's definitely true and it's also um it's kind of hard to know how much other interest there was um aside from Florida in in the previous two seasons so it you know it really could be that the the rest of the league has just kind of decided that um you know they have other other sort of more affordable options or other players who they they feel like they need to develop internally that they would rather give those minutes to um it's just I, I think from a purely from a fan's perspective um you just want to see him play as as long as he possibly can and kind of see um just because he's he's such a unique player in terms of what he's able to do at this age and you just want to see you know can he do it for another year can he do it for another two years um so i, I would love to see somebody um, who's got a hole, like you said, in the middle six, um, and who's, who's got a little bit of cap flexibility, maybe overpay, overpay for that role, um, a little bit for a year. And, and let's, let's see if he can do it again. Right. I mean, even just, you know, overlooking all the, uh, on ice contributions and, and how much he has left. I mean, just 
for there's it seems like there should be at least a handful of teams out there that might be you know struggling with with their market or or engaging in their fan base and you know he is essentially a living legend and there's so many fun things you could do in terms of marketing him and 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 his glorious hair and you know to use it to sell tickets and jerseys and captivate young fans and so on and so forth and then that's before you even get into the fact that he still can probably play and contribute so it seems like there should be some interest um yeah, uh, the Lightning, obviously, uh, if they had the money, uh, would have a need there. I think, you know, like a team like the Flames, for example, I'd be fascinated because they currently have Michael Furland playing on their top line or scheduled to play on their top line with Johnny Goudreau and, and Sean Monaghan. And I'd love to see a bit more of a, a skilled option play with those guys. And then you could kind of bump Furland down to a, to a more a role better suited for his uh, individual skill set. So, you know, that a team like that makes a lot of sense. Or maybe even the Blackhawks. I mean, listen, I uh, I don't need to tell you, I know that as a Lightning fan, you love Dick Panic just as much as the next guy. But uh, <laughs> according to Daily Faceoff, the Blackhawks' current right-wing depth chart is Patrick Kane, Dick Panic, and then Tommy Wingles and Thomas Yurko. So I feel like, uh, you know, they also might be cash-strapped and might have trouble fitting that in. But assuming that... Yager was willing to, you know, take a reasonable deal and, and, and latch on with a team that most people still consider a contender, whether it's right or wrong. That seems like that would be a, a good spot as well. I mean, there are pretty much, I feel like any contender could use, uh, Yager on their middle six wing because it is, but I guess it's just like a personal preference thing and where you'd like to see him play the most. Yeah. I think, um, I, Calgary was actually going to be my, my, second more serious choice but um purely because i want to see uh him and johnny goudreau uh skate up the ice at the same time on a break and i just want to like see yager try to try to keep up and then have to take like a four minute like breather on the bench after after (laughs) after that um i think i think that'd be awesome but yeah i think i think he would be i think he would be a good fit there um like you said they have a need um i think they have the the cap flexibility to do it um I think he would he would bring a lot of, um, you know, the ex- add some experience there, and and then uh, I, I think that would be a great market. I think they would really embrace him and the you know sort of the historic nature of what he's doing, and then also on a on a relevant team um, that's looking to make a run this year. I, th- I think that would be I think that would be a, a really fun fit. Um, and then there's a lot of like fun flames bloggers that, that, that would have a lot of fun with that. So that, 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 that's an important thing too, is like, he has to go to a good, a team with like good bloggers and, and a good, you know, a, a good Twitter following so that we can, so that we can have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I like that Mike fail shout out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, when I tweeted out the other day about how uh, a team should be incentivized to sign him for all these reasons we've outlined, I feel like at least one fan from like 25 different teams was like, ah, he makes that. He makes perfect sense on my, on my favorite team. So it seems like, uh, you know, if the fans are, if the fans have anything to say about it, uh, they're going to like single-handedly make sure that Yarmar Yager's career continues in the NHL. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play again. I'm sure that, you know, maybe if, even if he does take a few months off here and, and does what we, what we said earlier, where he, strategically picks a spot, uh, sometime around Christmas or, or, or as the season gets going, um, I'm just looking forward to uh, to seeing what what he has left in the tank. Um, so, Alan, do you want to plug some stuff before you get out of here? Where can uh, where can people find you online? And are you working on anything these days? So, uh, people can find me um, lightning stuff at Raw Charge, uh, which is the SB Nation um, blog that covers the Lightning. Um, you can also find my stuff sometimes um, at Hockey Graphs um, with all of the writers who are a lot smarter than me. They still let me write stuff some there sometimes, so that's that's always nice. Um, 
And then aside from that, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter at loser points. Um, I don't have any major stuff coming when, when this runs, I'll have an article up, um, looking at some interesting stuff. I think, uh, Vladislav Nemesnikov on the lightning is a really interesting player, mm. um, and some of the things that he does. And so I have kind of a deep dive into him, um, that's coming out that, that, that might be worth a read. So, um, that's, that's where you can find me. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, uh, I definitely recommend everyone checks that out. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your, uh, your summer break to, uh, to come chat about the lightning and we'll make sure to get you back on sometime once the season gets going. Anytime, man. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. Mm-hmm.